Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? And you know how painful it is. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia Pacific from on and offboarding, procuring devices to real-time IT support and device management. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. So check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. Yes, a lot of blockchain companies don't know how to make games. And a lot of the game companies don't know how to incorporate blockchain into their games properly. There's really some truth to that. And there are some companies that put together both things like Animoca Brands, for example, which started out as a gaming company and then morphed into a crypto gaming company. So they're trying to put these areas of expertise into together. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung and Asia is leading the renaissance of Web3 gaming with increasing developer activity. What makes a winning Web3 game? My guest today needs no introduction. He has seen through it all. The different eras of the console, desktop, and mobile gaming, and now Web3 Gaming too. And he is Sakan Toto, the CEO and founder of Kantan Games. Sakan, welcome back to the show. It has been a long time, but I'm glad that you're now living in Singapore, except that you're currently in a different location. Yeah, I'm currently in Germany for some family things, but I bounced between Tokyo, Singapore to some extent, and also Germany to some extent. We haven't spoken for a while. So since our last conversation, what have you been up to other than moving from Tokyo to Singapore? Yeah, so one big topic was that the gaming industry has changed a lot since last time we spoke. So as gaming is basically based on three different platforms, you just named them, PC, console, and there's the latest one, mobile gaming or smartphone gaming or smart device gaming. And now you have blockchain gaming that many people think, including myself, is the is the next frontier for the gaming industry. So I would say since last time we spoke, both on a personal slash business level for myself, but also for the gaming industry globally, but also in Asia, especially in Asia, blockchain gaming or crypto gaming has been the number one topic for sure. Based on our long relationship since 2008, we've all evolved in our careers over the past decade. I want to ask you what are the lessons that you can share with my audience about your career journey? Yeah, so my career was a little bit different because I was in academia for a long time. I did two university degrees, so it took me a while to get into the business world, so to speak. And what I did was I basically turned my passion for gaming, for video gaming in particular, into a profession. So now you could say, well, just turn your passion into your profession and all of these banalities. It's not even like a, a lesson or something like that. But I would not dare to give anybody career advice. But in my case, it, it turned out to be okay. Uh, but I don't think it's it's for everybody. You need also the dash of luck. So you always need a dash of luck in, in, in life. But to give you one example, when I basically stopped with all of these academic endeavors, it was when the financial crisis of 2008 came about. When the ec global economy was going up again, I basically started my business. Right. So it is absolutely just a coincidence that it happened that way. So it's very, very difficult, I would say, for myself to give kind of like career advice or some gems of wisdom. But that's a very good sharing of experience. So I want to come straight to the main subject of the day, how to build the winning game and blockchain gaming in Web3. 
given your experience with console, desktop, and mobile gaming, can you set the context and definition for Web3 or blockchain gaming, which some of us called it? Yeah. So, so as I mentioned, if you look at the gaming industry overall, it's an over 200 billion industry overall globally. And Accenture, for example, even says it's a 300 billion industry globally. So it's a gigantic industry. Back when I was in high school in the 1990s, it was, it was just a fraction of that. Less gamers, less companies, less revenue, less profits, et cetera, et cetera. A couple of years ago, some people thought that virtual reality is going to be the fourth platform of gaming overall. That hasn't really turned out to be correct. So virtual reality, they're still getting there. I think it will get there at some point, but you still have only these three pillars of, of the gaming industry with mobile, at least in the West around 2009, when Steve Jobs opened the app store, becoming actually a thing. And the interesting thing about crypto gaming is that crypto gaming has the potential to transform gaming overall. So crypto gaming is not, in my eyes at least, is not a fourth pillar of gaming, but it basically creeps into PC gaming in particular, now increasingly also in mobile. So a lot of mobile games are increasingly have a certain blockchain element to them and eventually will also move into the console space. If you look at Sony, for example, they've just recently issued or like submitted a tent where they're looking to NFTs, into platforms, avatars, and blockchain gaming in general. And they have around 110, 120 million monthly active users. It's a gigantic user base that you can pull this off from. They have all their accounts and, and their IDs. Sony has their credit card info, including mine. And they would be stupid to not go into blockchain gaming. Again, blockchain gaming has the potential to basically go into a lot of elements of the gaming industry. Mm. So as a crypto angel investor myself, when I look at Web3 gaming or crypto gaming or blockchain gaming, I typically think about digital ownership. I typically think about decentralization. I typically think about NFTs and some other basic components that come together on that. But as a person who is more well-versed from the gaming side and now looking into this space, what distinguishes Web3 or blockchain gaming from the past waves of gaming? As you alluded to earlier, is that it seeps into all the past three waves like the console, desktop, and mobile. And you'll be believing that it's sipping into two of them and it will start to go into console as well. Yeah, yes. So I think that one topic you just mentioned it is digital ownership. So the idea is that when you pay for something, pay for a virtual item to, to use a little bit of an older term, like a sword or I don't know, a car in, in a racing game, for example, that you actually don't pay for the pixels. You are basically just renting from the game company, but you actually own the digital object that is inside the game. So that digital ownership is a big, big part of that equation. And the kicker is that you can take that item that you bought, that non-fungible token, that NFT, as it usually it's modeled to be, and bring it off platform. And you can sell it on another platform completely detached from the game. And it's absolutely permissionless. So you don't need to ask anybody for permission to do that. Um, and that another big one, so that digital ownership is one. And the second big one that is deeply associated with what I just mentioned is that, that you have totally new economic models, right? Totally new types of monetization for game companies, but also for the demand side, for the user. So you have a really whole new field that opens up to you in the gamer community, again, from the demand side, but also from the supply side. And if I may add this quickly, because it's important, if you look at the mobile gaming space, it's half 
of the entire gaming industry. And it's very difficult nowadays to get into the business as a new ga mobile gaming company and actually generating a profit, generating revenue out of that business. Because there's a lot of roadblocks, discoverability is very difficult. Production is very expensive. Marketing is very expensive. You have to pay 30% to Apple or to Google. And, and a lot of these concepts are from the so-called Web2 area, especially on mobile, can be solved or circumvented or revitalized, innovated upon when it comes to Web3. So that it's actually a big revolution for the gaming industry, but mostly in theory only so far. I remember you have a PhD in economics, right? So all these new tokenomic models, how NFT trading and even trying to change the economics of the gameplay through play to earn, play and earn and etc. That's appeal to you. Oh, yes, yes. So I mean, there's now super specialists there, right? Who, I, who haven't even gone to college. You know, you have to be very, very deep in the material. So I wouldn't dare to say, hey, I can like uh, design like a tokenomic for your game or like for your platform or whatever it is. It's already, I would say, like a highly specific field if you are in that field. And if you're good at what you do, then you can do very well for yourself for the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, so you're completely right. So tokenomics, having like the right economic model for your game or for your platform or for your project in general is absolutely critical. And there have been a couple of failed uh, projects so far that have died because the economic model didn't work for them. One thing I find relatively strange is why are the well-known traditional gamers and game makers are against the concept of Web3 gaming and also the concept of play to earn, play and earn, depending on who you talk to? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the hardcore gamers are absolutely hate blockchain, pay to earn, crypto in general, everything that the NFTs. And, and one big point is that the, a lot of them don't really understand the concept. I always say, if you looked at, into crypto, if you looked into blockchain, if you looked into NFTs and digital ownership or all of these things, and if you hated them, then I respect your opinion. But if you don't even own a wallet, if you have never really tried to understand crypto or what NFTs really are or what they could mean, then, you know, we're both wasting our time because you don't really know what you're criticizing. So that again, that it's a lack of knowledge or fear of the unknown, or they are fearing that uh, a lot of their beloved game makers move into that space. And increasingly move into that space. Square Enix from Japan is a good example. It's a big company behind Final Fantasy. And a lot of gamers absolutely hate that this traditional role-playing game maker wants to move increasingly into blockchain. And another point is that some of these users say, well, we don't want to earn money by playing. It's totally fine with us to not own the sword or own the character that we just paid money for or own the skin inside the game. We are paying for fun. We want to pay $70 for a video game and leave us alone with this blockchain and with this crypto stuff. But here's the point. These hardcore gamers, I myself am one of them. They're just a couple hundred million, right? So if you take Steam, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, and all of that, and there's 3 billion users, gamers in the world, right? A lot of them, are, of course, on smartphones. A lot of them are exclusively on smartphones. And I always say, well, if you're a hardcore gamer who hates crypto, don't play crypto games, right? There's no problem. There's a vast target audience for crypto games out there these days. To be fair to those gamers who may have a very strong point of view that games is for fun, you don't want to end up playing to earn the sense that you might lose the fun of the game. So maybe is that really the core reason or is it because it, it starts to also eat into their business model as well, like World of Warcraft? The irony is that there used to be in China, there are internet cafes where people just do nothing but playing that and then take whatever weapons, whatever special items they have, 
go to eBay and sell it to someone in the US who buys the character and does the same. Except now is that it's just a direct automation transaction through a blockchain that is easier yeah, through a yeah. wallet. So I find yeah, it a course. little bit ironic when people talk about like, you know, that there's a lot of difference between because a lot of Asian gamers, specifically at like China, they grew up with World of Warcraft and they basically make money out of World of Warcraft for that matter. Okay, absolutely. And Diablo 2 is another good example that like an auction house that was back in the day, a Counter-Strike did the same thing, but it was all a little bit cumbersome because like you have to uh, jump through hoops and the blockchain solves all of these things, no problem at all. And uh, yeah, so, so I, I understand hardcore users. Again, if you don't want to get into this, then play other games. You know, there are so many games out there nowadays. These are, by the way, these are the exact same hardcore users who said free-to-play back in the day will never work. It will never work on console. It will never work on the PC. And now look, right? I mean, Fortnite is free to play. Apex Legends is free to play. And, you know, even Call of Duty is now free to play. If you look at Warzone, for example, and these are hardcore experiences, especially Call of Duty, right? And yeah, but you're right about that. Asian gamers, in my experience, or the demand side in Asia are more open to like these new concepts. So because free to play is also a concept that basically was born and became really popular in Asia before spilling over to the West. My hunch is there's a high likelihood that this will also take place with the blockchain gaming, where again, the Asian game companies, because you, your podcast is called uh, Analyze Asia. So this movement will also spill to other markets from Asia. I definitely see that in terms of in the Web3 space, if I were to dive deeper, even though everybody tells me that the space is dead, the real most interesting developer activity going on currently is Web3 gaming. So this is something yeah. that is pretty interesting, but I definitely have to ask you this. So what's the one thing you know about Web3 gaming that not many people know? What a lot of people don't know is that Web3 gaming in Asia is already super well adopted by the gaming companies, right? So there's already a lot of projects going on, some public, like Maple Story from Nexon, where it's a $20 billion company. And these guys go out and say, well, we're turning this like beloved IP into a blockchain game. Square Enix is publicly known, and there's some other project that I cannot speak about at least right now, maybe off camera later. But a lot of the Asian game companies, including the big ones that everybody knows and loves from Japan, especially from Korea. So Korea is crazy about crypto, more crazy about crypto than Japan, for instance. I'm talking about the gamer community, but also many other ways. Um, and uh, so people talk about like blockchain games, like being something like in the future. But uh, again, that a lot of people underestimate the coming flood and wave of blockchain and the Web3 games uh, coming out of Asia. Mm. So instead of talking to the strengths, let's, what are the major weaknesses of Web3 and blockchain gaming startups in the Asia Pacific or even globally? Because you talk to a lot of people, right? That you have observed in terms of when they think about developing a game in this space? Um, yes, a lot of blockchain companies don't know how to make games. And a lot of the game companies don't know how to incorporate blockchain into their games properly. There's really some truth to that. And there are some companies that put together both things like Animoca Brands, for example, which started out as a gaming company and then morphed into a crypto gaming company. So they're trying to put these areas of expertise into together. But mostly the big weakness is that a lot of the blockchain games out there are a little bit boring, mm. a little bit too much focused on the economic aspect. The playability is low. World, world building is weak. Character design is, is weak. And there's a lot of problems in terms of blockchain games being games at the moment. 
So now the industry is basically going through a phase where actually they're trying to find this perfect fit between playability, making everything work for the developer, but also making providing incentives to the user. And I would say Axie Infinity was one early hit that we had in crypto game in crypto gaming. That's like the Pokemon Go moment for the crypto game community. But we are still waiting for like a second big game that is really gigantic after Axie Infinity. So I would say that overall, the, the industry is still pretty immature. Mm. This is a very interesting example. Axie Infinity came out from Southeast Asia, but the irony is yes. none of the venture capitalists who are on the ground actually funded it. It was actually only funded from Animoca and from elsewhere. So one interesting challenge for Web3 Games, and also is a feature, is that it has an embedded capital market that sits inside any game. I mean, if you take, yes. for example, the Rodin chain that's made by Sky Mavis is also behind XC Infinity. They are now expanded into bringing games onto the Rodin chain, right? One question that does come up for me is, do you think that it will eventually lead to regulation from financial institutions on these games? Because you have assets at like NFTs and tokens that can actually be securitized or they just become in-game tokens, like what is already happening with MapleStory in the Web2 era mm. as such. Mm. Yeah, so X-Infinity is still alive, right? I mean, there's still like, there's still activity in the game. It's not the hot topic that it used to be, what is it now, one year ago, one and a half years ago, judging from the time of this recording. But the problem with X-Infinity was the uh, tokenomics that we just talked about, the design of the economy. And, and if you look at that game, you don't need to be a PhD in economics or something like that. It's not that complicated, right? So in hindsight, the Axie Infinity actually helped the industry, right? A lot of people look at the project and go, oh, this is crap, or look at how this doesn't work, and how could you be so stupid stupid to even put out the game like this? Ronin was hacked, and these guys don't know what they're doing. But I'm saying, well, look, it helped the economy, it helped the crypto economy overall to go a step further, right? So a lot of people now look at the game as a negative example, right? And uh, say, and say, hey, we can learn a lot from this, right? So the big problem was there were not enough sinks and faucets inside the economy of that game, right? So not enough games where, not enough uh, possibilities for users to spend money, uh, to spend to spend crypto inside the game and take out crypto in a meaningful way, right? So, but again, I'm not looking really down on X Infinity at all. I admire mm. these guys, Sky Mavis, right? And they're still on it. Ronin's, Ronin still lives. They've, of course, improved, improved their blockchain over time. So I wouldn't write the, off these guys at all. And of course, they learned a ton, right? And learning, especially in such an early phase of the industry, of the crypto gaming industry, is worth gold, in my opinion. Mm. I agree with you. I got Alexander Larson, the CEO, on the show last year. And one yeah. question I did ask him was, like Magic the Gathering game cards, right? Because there was a point in time where the power dynamic of the cards, people having those earlier cards that are more powerful actually shake mm. the level of the game. And this is something, this is pretty well known in gaming because I myself is also a gamer as well, right? So yeah. you could see that their economic model is not sustainable, but they have also learned to tone down that particular economy and they started to even look at alternate ways of even going with their XC land. They're looking at how to expand the rolling yeah. chain. Yeah. Etc. They didn't stop innovating. The problem is only when you stop yes. innovating, then I can see that the company have problems. But it's too early to actually even say negative things about them where they actually pioneered an entire industry for everyone to follow. Right? 
Yeah, on that. Absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Mm. So I'm quite curious. So based on one of the things I read on Web3 gaming trends, Korea, the Philippines and Vietnam are countries with actually growing gaming communities, specifically the rise of guilds in Web3 games. I know Gabby Dizon from YGG. What is the mental model now for Web3 gaming companies in engaging this kind of guild communities? Because is it just to accelerate go-to-market strategy or is it just to bring in the initial to help you to boost up the initial gameplay or the con? It's a mix of all of that, right? So, I mean, the way these way that YGG works is actually quite complex. It's a DAO, right? It's a decentralized autonomous organization. It's a business model. It's a guild, like a group of people who want to play games together or like want to invest together in the crypto gaming space. And there's like technologists like Gabby is like the, comes from the creative, but also like from the technology side, the founder. But I would say that the core idea is that YGG allows a group of people to basically allow other people who don't have the financial capacity, for example, to play crypto games and earn money inside inside the crypto games that they are playing against the fee that they pay to the owner of the NFT in question, for example. I mean, we just talked about X Infinity. This is where YGG became such a big company, right? Because if you want to play X Infinity back in the day, they required like $1,000, $2,000, something, something along those lines as an initial investment to get a couple of these creatures that are part of the gameplay in that game to actually even be able to start playing and earning money by playing games, right? So YGG came in and said, look, we have a group of people here that have these NFTs, these these axes, so-called axes. We can rent them to you. You play the game, you earn your money, but then you get to give us a cut of that money every time you, you get one of these like in-game tokens. And then the investors have passive income and then the people who don't have the financial means to make that initial big investment can make a little bit of money every day, right? Mm. And, you know, it became huge that way. And then YGG became huge. A lot of people looked at the company and I'm simplifying a lot. So YGG, again, is a lot more complex than that. But this is how YGG or Yield Guild Games to be and became as big as they are today. There's something there to be said. In Web2, you, because you're centralized, right? So you get network effects yeah. very easily if you yes. really and pull the audience in. But whereas in Web3, because you are decentralized. So yes. it is actually the idea of even network effects doesn't really work. A lot of people has this, doesn't understand that when like in Ethereum, adding one node doesn't add to the network. In fact, it actually mm. could make the network less valuable. And that's the reason why there's so many competing L1 chains going on there. Right. So maybe the way I would see why YGG really did is that they basically created the network effects for is a web three version of a customer acquisition strategy rather than yeah. web two customer yeah. acquisition strategy. Did, did I, do yeah. I get that reasoning correctly? Uh, yes, yes, I think so. And one point is uh, YGG never asked for permission. I mean, they don't have that. They work together with Sky Mavis very closely with the XNPDD developer, but they didn't have to. You can, you can do all of this without any permission. And YG is not only on XInfinity, they're also on other projects like the Sandbox, for example. And they don't need to ask for permission at all, right? So, and uh, user acquisition on mobile games at the moment, now that we have the interview in April 2023, is a nightmare, right? Because there's like a, a privacy restrictions by Apple now, so you cannot acquire users and 
track them through the entire life cycle where they are like engaged in your game and, and then you can do return on investment analysis and all of these. All of this is gone, right? Or very, very difficult right now. And the projects like YGG are, you are correct, are like a user acquisition, engagement, retention, marketing, and all of these things in like one package if they execute it well. YGG is not alone anymore. There are other guilds that are basically copying that model nowadays, but they're still the biggest. That is probably one of the features of Web3 that mainstream gamers don't think about bringing these guilds as a form of customer acquisition strategy. Yeah. But let me ask a, a much more nuanced question. How do concepts of interoperability or even scalability for Web3 gaming actually affects the gaming industry? And part of it is that when you look at the first version of XE, it's not that fantastic. If you want to take a, you want to take a leaf, say from a Blizzard game, say Warcraft, Starcraft, etc. So do you think that the interoperability and scalability for Web3, this is going to be one of those either stumbling block or something that will open up more games to come into the blockchain space? Yeah, so, so hopefully it's a second, right? Mm. That it opens more possibilities for game developers because I forgot to mention one big thing to your earlier question about like the features of Web3 gaming and that's a decentralization, right? So in theory, in the end, the users take over the game from the game developer, right? If you look at the video game space, mobile game space, PC game space nowadays, these games are extremely centralized. You know, if you look at Minecraft, for example, you can mod the game, you can have your own server and, you know, all of these things. And But still, Microsoft, the actual owner of the game, has their thumb on the game, right? So they can turn off, turn you off immediately if you're doing things that they don't like. So the idea of a blockchain, a blockchain game is making interoperability with other games, for example. So you can take your NFT from one game, and if it's inside the same platform, for example, you can use it in, in another game. One of the companies that I Angel invested in recently is doing that, right? So they have a platform, they have totally different games, but you can take your character from one game and as an NFT and put it in a totally different game inside the same platform. And the idea is that over time, the original game developer that you always need, even in Web3 gaming. So there always has to be some somebody that starts the game, a company usually, give, gives up their control, their ownership of the game over time, right? Mm. So, and then the gamers who own the game are now, like completely decentralized in a theoretical world, can do whatever they want with the game. Right? So they can change the UI, they can change the, the look of the characters, they can change the direction of the story, etc. That is extremely powerful, and uh, you can only do this with, with uh, the power of blockchain. That's the only way that you okay. can you do it properly. On a totally different subject, if let's say now I start using generative AI, say I have ChatGPT, video, sound, correct? Is it going to go towards like, the blockchain has the skill to actually do something like choose your own adventure and basically let the universe, which the gaming universe that you lived in, to actually create the adventure of. I mean, just from a like, a, like this is the end state for gaming for almost every yeah. player, right? You're playing the actual yeah. infinite game. Sorry, I have to ask yeah. this question. Yeah. Yeah, there are already companies that are thinking about this, right? So, and there are already companies that are mixing generative AI that it's, uh, of course, they are with a blockchain, right? And there are some games now, one game from the guy, Brandon Green, who did PUBG, is he wants to create a game, a sandbox game, where you know where you can do your, all of these things by yourself, that's as big as the actual world. 
right? So the, our globe that we're sitting in. So the uh, square meters match the square meters of the game of the planet Earth are actually matching the square meters of the game that he's creating right now. But that game has no blockchain elements. But what you just described, like infinite gameplay, because uh, the AI is creating characters and stories and just uh, spinning the uh, story forward and forward, it's going to come in some way 100%. Mm. We're getting close to Ready Player One there. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Like, the, the problem with that is that the virtual reality items that we are, or the, uh, the goggles are still a little too heavy, but uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so maybe just curious, because we are all living in the Asia-Pacific side, right? What are the key trends now of Web3 Gaming in the Asia-Pacific? I'm more curious about how has it been evolving, say, countries like Japan, Hong Kong, Korea, and China, which you're much more familiar with in the East Asia side. Yeah, yeah. So, so that I'm most familiar in Japan, where I'm based. And that if you look at the Japanese, if you look at the Japanese gaming companies, the publicly traded video game companies like Sony, Nintendo, Koei Tecmo, Enix, Konami, all of these guys, with the exception of Koei Tecmo, Sony, and Nintendo, Sony so far, all of them have already started blockchain gaming projects, investments, games, partnerships, etc. It's all of them, right? And if you go down the pyramid a little bit lower to the publicly traded mobile gaming companies that we have, the top ones that are $1 billion and more, all of them except for one have done something in, in or are doing actively something with, related to blockchain gaming. So they are looking unbelievably close in, into this space because they think it's the same it's the same paradigm shift that we see in gaming overall that we saw around 14 years ago with free-to-play gaming, right? So there's a deep belief in Japan, but even more so, as I mentioned earlier, in Korea, that blockchain gaming will transform the entire gaming industry, not only the supply side, but also the demand side. So, and in China, if it wasn't for the strict regulation, that even more companies would do, would do crypto-related stuff. I'm sure there are some projects that are being handled by the overseas subsidiaries, maybe even internally within China. But uh, my understanding is that NFTs are okay. Digital ownership is okay, at least in, uh, to some extent. But incorporating crypto in your game, games is not okay. And that's uh, a deal breaker for a lot of the crypto gaming companies out there. Mm. But I also see that like they have relaxed Hong Kong now. So maybe yes. they're using Hong yes. Kong as a sandbox. And there are some very well-known blockchain games living in Singapore. I know Era7 is there. I met the founder through dinner. So there's the, actually one of the highest blockchain use games in Binance smart chain. So the activity, even like the games may be even in Southeast Asia, but actually it's all developed in China as well. Yeah. So, so I personally know actually a lot of our blockchain game developers are living in China, like literally living there. And they're freelancing. They're not mm. saying, well, publicly saying, we're, look, we are working on these games. But they're not working on game, games in China, right? So they're working for like foreign-owned or foreign-controlled projects. But you're correct. I mean, Singapore and Hong Kong are definitely hubs for blockchain gaming in Asia. Yeah. Mm. So one, one thing I probably have to ask you, probably only the ones you know in public, right? Can you share some interesting examples of Web3 gaming in the Asia-Pacific? Yeah, so so one big one is because people are speak a lot of about the metaverse, and that one interesting example is the sandbox by Animoca. Um, and quick disclaimer: I'm a, I'm an advisor in in Animoca Brands, which is the majority owner of the sandbox. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is the sandbox is not a project made in Asia. So the company is actually from France. The development team is somewhere else, and then but it was actually embraced a lot by Korea and by the Japanese gamer community. 
All right. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, actually very, a lot of activity coming from, from Asian, from Asian players that uh, like this particular metaverse. And of course, you can play games in it. Um, mm-hmm. and that the biggest trading that is go- going on with sand, the currency inside uh, the sandbox is uh, done through Korean exchanges. So somehow like a French made and Hong Kong controlled metaverse is doing very well in, in Korea and, and in Japan. So that, that one, one, one game worth uh, looking at. And if you haven't already, XC Infinity is always interesting mm. because it's such an interesting example of a crypto game that is still going on and that, that has been pioneering all of this stuff. Mm. I better put a disclosure that I own a lot of these tokens across all the guys you have. And then plus the fact that I actually breed and do staking on the Ronin chain. So to, to everyone out there, this is not investment advice. This is just no. for purely information. No. And then we just we are yes. just sharing it. I yeah. want to ask you this, which is actually the reason why I got you on the show, which is going to be the title of the show. What are the ingredients of a great Web3 game from your perspective? And we are talking as gamers now, not as our professional when we think about Gaming as investors or people who look at gaming space. Yeah, so it's a little bit like asking me what is a good example of a cloud game. A cloud gaming is another big trend that the heavy lifting is done by the cloud. You don't really need like dedicated gaming devices like a PC or like a console anymore, things like that. What I always tell people is, at least this is my opinion, right, obviously, but it should be a game that is actually using blockchain or crypto or nfts natively so where you say okay this game works because it uses these elements natively without these elements we couldn't play the same game on a playstation or on the pc right so what actually makes a lot of sense to have all of these elements inside and on the cloud gaming side which is also several years old now that technology that that allows people to play games through the cloud i haven't really seen a game like that Right. So a lot of people are saying, well, I mean, I, I, why can I not download this game? Why should this game be in the cloud? Right. I mean, some companies are working on these like native super games that are living in the cloud. Sega, for example, and then Hideo Kojima, the ga- game maker from Tokyo, is working on a cloud game for Microsoft. But it's still like very, very vague at this point in time, right? At the point of the recording. And then the blockchain game world, it's pretty similar. So a lot of the times I ask myself, this game, I mean, you have NFTs, that's really great, but I can, it doesn't really add anything to the playability of the game or to the, to my retention, to my desire to come back to the game and stick to the game. Right. So it's a little bit too early. I would say it's a little bit too early, but a big topic is really, again, using the blockchain, crypto, NFTs, and all of these things in a native way. That's going to be the challenge for a lot of the game companies because other, otherwise that the traditional gamers, the hardcore gamers will always say, Hey, I can play this on the PlayStation. Mm. Does that include, does that include the, sorry, I just, the question just got out of my mind, but does that include say playability or even the business model of the game, which is, must be web three in nature, like play to earn. That's the question. Yeah. Yes. So, so a lot of people are saying, well, I don't want to play, I don't want to play to earn. You know, so that's why now uh, a lot of these games have rebranded themselves to play and earn. They're calling NFTs digital collectibles all of a sudden, right? Because they want to get away from that stigma. And yeah, so I would say is that so far it has been pretty difficult to find a way where you build like a cohesive ecosystem where the tokenomics are working, the playability is there. You can actually play to earn in a meaningful manner where, and then you can do that sustainably, right? Where you don't need new users, for example, to come into the game all the time to replace the users that are churning out. Otherwise, the whole thing just falls apart. 
a lot of very smart game companies are working on that right now. Uh, but I would say give it a year, maybe one and a half, two years to see the really big blockchain gaming games out there. There are a lot of them are in the oven. But a perfect one, or now maybe like a really solid one, is still not out there, I would say. But again, they are working on it. There are some mm. interesting projects out there that are worth at the moment, not really fully baked, I would say. Mm. So my closing last question, but I'm going to phrase it very differently. If you were able to stretch your imagination all the way, what does a great Web3 game look like in the future? It's big in scale. So it like encompasses like a big open world that where a lot of people can interact in. So nothing that is small. So if you want to conquer the world with a blockchain game or Web3 game, you have to think really big. Maybe even bigger than when you develop a console game or a mobile game. The reason why I'm saying that is if you look at the blockchain game world on paper, you can rope in people who have never played the game before. Not even a mobile game because there's like some income potential as a user. So you can capture some of the value that is inside the game's economy. Like a rock solid game economy is required and then super high retention. I mean, you have to find basic, of course, this is all very theoretical. It's very easy for me to say, but you have to find like a game concept that brings people back. And that makes people stick like Candy Crush, Pokemon Go. If you look at Clash Clans or Candy Crush, now they're 10-year-old games. It's unbelievable. And they're still scaled. Something like that we need in the blockchain game and the blockchain game side. And then all bets are off. And I'm definitely getting you back to talk about more about these Web3 games that you didn't talk about today. So, Sakat, many thanks for coming on the show. In closing, two quick questions. Number one, any recommendations that have inspired you recently? You mean books, book, movie, book. Yeah. TV show? <laughs> yeah, so I just saw the Mario movie yesterday, but it, it, didn't, really, it didn't really inspire me. But uh, it was it, it not inspired as an intellectually inspiring, but it was quite good. But I would say one, uh, one interesting book, book that I read recently is Poverty by America. That's, that's, the, name of the, that's the name of the book. And it's, 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 as it says, it talks about the, the problem of poverty and, and what, what ev everything that comes with that in a society like, like the US. So if you want to think a little bit more about the darker side of, of the economy, of the market economy, this is a good one. And my final question, how does my audience find you? Yes, I'm mostly active on Twitter under my handle as Sarah Toto in one, in one word. But you can also add me on LinkedIn and, and on, uh, through other avenues. Totally, you can find this show now on YouTube and everywhere else in any podcast platform. Sign on for our monthly newsletter where I will summarize every conversation in three bullet points at least. And definitely, Sakan, great to talk to you. So we're going to hang out for beer soon, right? Absolutely. 